we're going to consider Paul's teaching regarding God's power and protection when we choose to, and here's the key words, walk in the light. So walk in the light. In fact, we're going to read in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 8, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You might remember earlier in our studies, but if if you were not here for that or not able to be here for that, up in chapter 4, verse 27 of this same book, we read, give no opportunity to the devil. Then again in chapter 5 at verse 1, be imitators of God as God's beloved children. How do we accomplish what Paul is talking about? It's a good question. It is by putting on the proper wardrobe, as we've been discussing in this, in this series out of Ephesians. God's educating us how we go about doing that as we continue our thoughts in Ephesians. How do we become a child of light? It is by walking as children of light. We do it by practicing it. We do it by being educated about it and then implementing it into our, into our life. And, and so the state, uh, to state an obvious in all of this, there is a difference between walking as children of light and there is a difference, there's a difference between that and walking as children of darkness. That is an obvious statement. Not so obvious, however, is that God is educating us to be successful in the first and not, and how not to be successful in the second of those. Ephesians. Hope that you're there. If you're not, I want you to turn there. That's where we're going to begin reading this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. invite you to turn there with me, and while you're doing that, I welcome everyone this morning. So good to see everybody here today, uh, both uh, guests as well as, as those who are members. Appreciate everyone's presence this morning. If you're not familiar with God's book yet, uh, that'll be page number 1162. And the Bible that's in the rack there in front of you, if you'd like to use that. So Paul says there in Ephesians 5, verse 8, walk as children of light. Highlight it, underline it in your notes, in your text. Uh, That is a reoccurring theme in many of his epistles. We certainly won't be looking at all those, but, uh, but here it is noteworthy within the context Light seems to have a couple of different pers- uh, purposes. It may have more than what I'm aware of, but what I am aware of is that it expels darkness. That's its biggest known purpose, probably. But it also attracts anything or anyone who is seeking to be able to see, seeking light. Uh, and on the hillside there at uh, Lake Gennesaret, or, or as your version might say, the Sea of Galilee, We find Jesus teaching on these blessings that God would give to those who implement certain attitudes in their life. We call this section of the text the B attitudes. uh, And what is meant by these pithy statements are attitudes that should be in our life. If you think about it that way, then the B attitudes, that title, makes perfect sense. Things that should be in our life, that we should implement into our life. Well, after teaching on eight of those things, then we read, well, let me ask you, do you remember what we read after that? After those Beatitudes, what do we read after that? 
Contrasts. That's what we read, contrasts. And those contrasts are known as light and salt. You'll notice in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and in verse 13, Jesus, you might remember, says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? That is a contrast between what is good and what has become worthless. It's just a contrast that he's setting forth. The same thing could be true in verse 14 as you continue reading on down in that same Matthew 5 text. You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in a house. So it expels darkness, it, it attracts the onlooker. Verse 16, in the same way, you all, uh, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's a contrast between what is seen rather than being what is hidden. Be seen, don't be hidden. You might recall in Ephesians chapter 4, as you flip back there to your, to your text, Paul lists behaviors to throw off and behaviors to put on. That's a contrast. Throw these off, put these on. Verse 22, put off, of, uh, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires. You should already have that word deceitful underlined or highlighted. You'll see it again in today's section of our text. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul continues this throw off and put on concept as we go on to look at what he's saying today. Don't do this for this reason. Instead, do this for this reason. And he just gives a list of those type of things within our text this morning, though you might not initially recognize it. What is it that in verse 6 that he says? Chapter 5, Ephesians 5, now jump down to verse 6 of your text. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things... The wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Now, we might need to stop there for just a second and remember where we came from. Because of what things? Because of these things, the wrath of God comes. So that's something I probably want to know something about. If the wrath of God is coming against it, that's a pretty important thing to, to know. It's an important question to ask out of the text. Look at verse 3, you might remember, sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness. He mentions it again in verse 5. And then in today's text that we're looking at in verse 6, he includes in that deception or deceiving us and empty words that could also be classified into these things that the wrath of God is coming against. We'll talk more about these last two in just a little while. We've already discussed the earlier things. But understand that these are the things that, that, that God is coming against. Now, let's just expound a little bit on that. I know I'm going outside the text now, and we're jumping over to 2 Timothy. And in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Paul seems to expound on things that could fit under these categories if we worked hard enough to make them fit there. But I think just understanding that, that in the text, when Paul says the wrath of God is coming against these things, that we could easily include all kinds of sin. And that's what he describes to Timothy. 
He says to Timothy that, and, he, and, and us in, in looking at what the text is teaching us that we need to understand something. In the last days, he says, there will come times of difficulty. Verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. He goes on to say, avoid such people as these. And then if you'll, if you'll notice, he finishes up for our purpose uh, out of this text in verse 7, always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Now I include that because it is an extensive list of the kind of things that God does not appreciate or want in our lives. They're the things of darkness that Paul is describing to Timothy. And it might serve really as a good warning to us, uh, just if we step aside for a second and take note of this, that, that those who've grown up in the church can be easily become people who are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of what God actually teaches or says. Now, I know this because I have been this, and I'm probably still this in some areas that I'm unaware of. But it's probably true for you as well if you are a person who's grown up among God's people and heard extensive teaching week after week, and even in your own private time, often hearing what God says, but never able to make the application of that thing. God says, on those, the wrath of God is coming. That is noteworthy for us. That we not drift into that kind of thinking. That we not be okay with that among ourselves. Even though maybe we've been members of God's family for many, many years, and we've studied every book in the Bible, or most of them, and nearly every text within that book. That really makes no difference to God if it's just about learning but never coming to a full knowledge of what that actually means to us and how to make a good application of it. That doesn't have to be anybody's story. No one has to fall into that category. Not you, not me, not the person sitting next to us. Thankfully, Paul goes on to tell Timothy this is the way that it should look in a person's life. Yes, we can be that kind of person. And there are those that are that way, both in God's family and out of God's family, who know truth, but do not make applications of truth. But that's not us. Verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, conduct, aim in life, faith, uh, patience, love, and my steadfastness. You've looked at what God has taught. Paul is telling Timothy, and you've seen that in me, you've heard me teaching that, and you have been one who has replicated, copied that. You remember that from a previous lesson out of Ephesians? You've reproduced what you see in Christ. That should be you and me as well. The very thing that we, too, are intent on doing still today. As you look through that list both the one that is here in 2 Timothy and the one, the short one that we have in Ephesians that we just read, of all these <clears throat> practices against which 
God's wrath will come. Two things should be noted from that. First, God has dramatically changed our lives for the better. Secondly, at least in part, He has done that through helping us see our heart and our lives through His eyes. We look through what God says and it changes everything about what we think we see. What it is that we saw one way when we were of darkness now is illuminated. We see it truly as it is. And God has helped us do that through the knowledge of His truth. So deception often comes from what is unconfirmed by God's Word. Misinformation. That which is vain or empty. The Greek word that we're looking at there is the word hollow, without proper meaning. It's the word kinos. It just means no substance. You ever hear anybody talk for 15 minutes? I know you have because you've heard me talk. You ever hear anybody talk for 15 minutes and say nothing? (laughs) That's what he's talking about here. This idea of kinos is that it sounds good. It's a great philosophy, but there's emptiness to it. There is deception within it. It's hollow. It means nothing. When everything is boiled down and you go, what does this mean? You go, it means nothing. There's vainness in that. Emptiness is the result. And that's literally what he is using, that word that he is using here. Words which are without discernible conclusions from what God has taught us. Those are vain words. Empty words. Deception comes from not consulting God on a matter of importance. It leads to disobedience Paul is teaching here, upon which the wrath of God comes. Therefore, he says, don't be partakers with that, in the, with them, he says, with those who are deceptive and give vain or empty words with regard to things that are spiritual, he has in mind, obviously, here. I would say to you, brethren, that when we look at what Paul is teaching at this first portion of the text that we're looking at this morning, that it reminds us that we need to be responsible for how we view, assimilate, or reject external information. Is that true? When's the last time you had someone recommend a book to you? But it's, and it's written by somebody that you respect. I've got a couple of them in my library that absolutely state vanity in some of their language. It's not, there's nothing that you can back that up by, some of the conclusions that come from Scripture. It's vain. It's vain. It doesn't matter who it is, what is said, who endorses, Everything must be tried, brothers and sisters, by the Word of God. That is our trustworthy standard, and there is no other standard. That is our standard. Be careful, Paul is saying, what you assimilate from outside of what God has said. Be careful. It can be vain. And that can be detrimental because 
Against vanity comes the wrath of God. When I make conclusions that God has not made, God's not pleased by that. Therefore, he says in verse 7, do not become partakers with them. Brethren, that involves an attitude prior to. It involves commitment, true dedication, consistency, honesty with God's Word. And it is careful not to include into God's Word what might sound good, but is not endorsed by God. It takes great caution against such things. It begins by coming out of darkness and what is deceptive and empty words into God's discernible light. Let me reinforce this by stating something. We speak where God speaks and we are, somebody say it, silent where God is silent. The Bible claims that. No, it does not. The principle is there. Stories are given about it. But that's not actually a verse. You won't find that actual verse in the Bible. But you quoted it like it is a verse. My point in that is, ladies and gentlemen, I have to analyze that statement. I have to actually analyze it. Why? Because it didn't come directly from God. I have to, I have to consider, is this true based on what God says? Or is this false? If, it's, if it isn't true, what should I do with it? Reject it. Yeah, but Nate said that's true. So what? What does God's Word say is where we stand. And if God's Word doesn't say it, then I have to be careful about whether or not I'm going to assimilate it and apply it. No matter what it is. And it seems to me that that is what Paul is saying in this pagan system of idolatrous worship that was very typical among the Ephesian brethren. Be careful some of the things that you learn under idolatry and that you have known perhaps all your life. Some of those things you need to weigh with what God says and shuck it out if it's no good. Use it. If God confirms it. Well, if God confirms it, it comes from God's Word. There are numerous reasons of why the Christian seeks to avoid participation in speculative or downright evil things. I'd like to name some of them to you. Maybe you can name more than that. I'm sure you can name more than this. But just in a few minutes, I came up with some of these that I thought would would help us in understanding more of what Paul is talking about here. Why is it that we do not run with them in the flood of dissipation, as Peter would say? Or as Paul says here in our text, do not become partakers with them. Why? Well, the first thing that I think of, brothers and sisters, that you may think of as well, is that we have lived out of Christ long enough to know the difference. We've lived without Jesus in our life. We've lived without God's direction, walking in the light in our lives, long enough to know we don't like the alternative. It doesn't help us. It doesn't benefit us. And it always, without fail, leads to where we didn't want to go, into situations we wish we didn't have to deal with. 
having put on the new self in Christ, why would we ever wish to go backward and put on the old self again? (laughs) The second thing that we might consider is that the ungodly life in darkness is just that. Stumbling and bumbling and falling down in darkness. And who likes that? It's totally incompatible with the long-term happiness and joy of living within the eternal assurance and the peace that we only gain through Christ. It's totally incompatible. And again, we know the differences, you see. Why would we give all those spiritual blessings that we see listed in Ephesians 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, for momentary pleasure of sin in this world? Why would we want to do that? One's eternal. And the other is temporary. Third thing that we might think about is that eternal inheritance is so far beyond what we can even comprehend right now. Why would I ever forfeit what is better than anything I've ever known or could know for that which is just temporary? Why would I forfeit that for a disinheritance? My inheritance compared to my disinheritance? I prefer the inheritance. Well, everybody would agree with that. It makes no sense, ladies and gentlemen, for us who are God's children to ever choose to return into darkness and suffer God's coming wrath. Isn't that what Paul is teaching us in this section? For at one time, verse 8, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part. It means not to join in, not to partake in, not even to support sin or empty philosophies, as he's talking about it here. Vain words, emptiness. Paul would add to this when he teaches the Corinthian brethren in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look with me down in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, down in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, I'll stop you for a second. Let's talk about marriage, right? Well, that depends if you studied the text or not. Have you seen the context of this? Or, or are you just going by what you've heard me or somebody else say before with regard to marriage? I'll just say to you, you could apply this to marriage, rightly so, and we've all heard that, but I'm only pointing out to you, this is talking about life, guys. This is talking about a person's way of living, thinking, the practice of walking in our life with God or outside of God with those who are in darkness. That's all that it's talking about in the context. Look at what he says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's talking about friendships. That's talking about brotherhood in the sense of those who have everything in common that's worth having. Some people do it in darkness. Some people do it in light. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord, what agreement, has Christ with Biel? The Greek term for Satan, it literally means the one who is worthless or treacherous. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? That was popular 
in Corinth, as chapter 8 will teach, it was popular in Ephesus too. Not which one, but let's merge and mix these things. For we are the temple of the living God. There's no gods in those idolatrous temples, but we are the temple of God. I will make my, God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from, among, from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, you consider this text. And then you think back to what we've been reading in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 in particular. Does it sound like God is pointing to us to get as close to the sin that we once were in, in darkness, get right up to the edge of darkness? Or is he talking about getting as far away from that and as close to the light of God in our walk in life as possible? It's again a distinction, drawing contrasts is what Paul is doing. And it's what he does both here in 2 Corinthians as well as Ephesians. Put off the old self, put on the new, Paul says. In chapter 5, verse 8, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love that section of the text in verse 10. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's a little different from what we usually read from God, who usually draws a great distinction and just says, this is right, this is wrong. God doesn't do that with everything, does he? Oftentimes he states principles that must be analyzed by his word, observed, meditated upon, thought upon, and then you figure out where to put it, how to make the application. You got the key, that's the lock. And it unlocks a whole dimension sometimes into our life. Dakimadzo, discern, to test by God's word to scrutinize as genuine or vain, empty. To approve after proper and thorough examination. God's got no problem with us asking questions. God's got no problem with holding the issue right here in front of us and figuring out, is this of God or is this vain and empty? And so, it is a reference to that God-given filter again. The only way that we can try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord is to look at the item in question and do that through the eyes of the Almighty, through His revealed Word that's been given to us. Now, lastly, having said all of that, it's worth noting that just because we refuse to walk in darkness... Seems to me that Paul is also pointing out in this short section of text, doesn't mean we shut ourselves off 
from everybody who's walking in darkness. Our whole purpose, brothers and sisters, is to influence for good those who are still in the condition that if we're a Christian, we've been seeking to come out of and been growing away from as we walk more and more in the light of Christ. But we have to do that without knowingly partaking in what is evil. And that is very important for us to understand. I once knew a, an elder, if I can divert for just a second to a, a story, who was an elder in the Christian church that was here in town, cross town from where we are. And I got to know him because my son and his son were both in football. And so we got to converse during practice a couple, two, three times a week. He, uh, in one conversation, let me know that a group of men had started, I should come to it, a group of men had started uh, a group study that was uh, smokes, drinks, and study. I don't, they don't they, that kind of was the idea behind it. And uh, I had to ask what he was thinking because that's what you're asking right now. What are you thinking? Uh, so they went to a place that was a smokehouse, not the kind like I like, which is, you know, smoking meat, but the other kind of smokehouse. And they had drinks, and they had smokes, and they opened up the Bible. And his response to that was something according to the idea that, you know, Jesus went where sinners and prostitutes went, and that's what, that's what they were doing. And I ask a couple of questions, and this is what I'm... It's an illustration of what I'm talking about, brothers and sisters. Of taking something and examining it for a second in light of God's Word. Now, you may not know an answer to that question. You may be asking yourself, well, what is wrong with that, actually? I don't see anything wrong with that. Or you may be one who's on the other side of that and saying, that's totally wrong. And I go, what's wrong with you? Well, I... I, I, I I mean, there's different spectrums, right? My first question to him was, did Jesus go to bars and brothels? Because I haven't found that in God's Word yet. I mean, we have four accounts of Jesus' life, and not one of them say that. So where in the world would I get the idea that doing that would be all right, based upon what God says? I would say Jesus came in contact with those who were in sin. Good part of the time, it was at the temple. <laughs> Good part of the time, it was just doing his daily activities. He found Zacchaeus when he was walking down the street. He met with people in their homes. How did he do that and still reach people? without going to the places like this of ill repute. He did that, brothers and sisters, because there are sinful people and walking in darkness around us everywhere. They are everywhere. Do you see them? You should see them because we were once walking with them in darkness. It's not hard to see that. 
We know because we have been there. We know what that looks like. We know what it sounds like. We have intimate understanding of walking in darkness. It's not that hard to find. Here they are all around Jesus. Did he have to go to the brothel to find them? Did he have to go to the the bar and drink with them to relate to them? We don't read where he partook in the things that sinners were doing. He didn't have to do what they were doing to reach those people. Why on earth do we think we would need to do that either? We can't attract, brothers and sisters, anyone to the alternative out of darkness into light if we are no different than they are. If we dress like them, if we act like them, if we talk like them, and I'm talking about in sinful ways, obviously, that's no different. It attracts no one except those walking in darkness. So I ask you a piercing question. At that point, who am I walking with and who am I working for? At that point. If I'm impressing people with darkness, then am I walking with Christ or am I walking with Beelzebub? In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we read, The wickedness of man was so great on the earth that every intent and the thought of his heart was only evil continually. You think a lot of those people thought that they were okay? It isn't hard to see the similarities between our society today and theirs. Brothers and sisters, each generation of God's people has got to realize our world is on a collision course with God's coming wrath. There's no getting around that out of passages like we're looking at today. Destruction is coming. We can't learn a lot of things about that society, but we can learn the important things, the things that match our society. A man who stood apart from the corrupt world around him was in existence. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in all his generation. Noah walked with God. And this verse reveals two vital aspects of Noah's life which help us in an ungodly world. First of all, Noah was not corrupted by his surroundings. And that can be difficult. That can be very difficult. You can be your own God. You can make the rules for you. Don't let everybody make your rules for you. You make your own rules. And what's good for one may not be good for another. You can make the rule. You do you. Truth is subjective. And what is truth anyway? And really, you can do whatever you want. Now, let me put this caveat on there. I think I'm right in saying it. As long as it is not walking in the light and influencing others to walk in the light too. Otherwise, you can do whatever you want. Noah saw the sins around him. No doubt he heard the similar arguments of deception in his day, vain and empty words of another way of living besides walking in the light. He never forgot who he was as he walked with God. 
seeing the things through the eyes of what we know about God is vital for you and me to survive. A righteous man, blameless in his generation. What that means is he fought against sin and deception in his own life and in the lives of those that he was in contact with. When we're at the heat of the battle, brothers and sisters, let us never forget, we are called to be different and set apart. Stand up and be seen. Do not be afraid of what comes from that. Stand up and let God's light be seen. We are children of the King. A holy, a special people. Handpicked and set apart by God Almighty for His purpose. For His reasons. And it's in every ounce and fiber of who we are to want to pursue that mission to its fullest. Everything within us speaks to that because we know where we came from and our thanks and gratefulness for God's grace and mercy on us pushes us to be the best we can be. To try to discern what the will of God is in our lives. John chapter 17, verse 14, Jesus says, I've given them your word, your word, uh, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. God's word changed these people. I do not ask, verse 15, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Let them do the work I've designed them to do without disassociating from darkness, without cutting themselves off from everyone else in the world. He goes on to say they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17 is vitally important. Sanctify them in the truth, your word. That's truth. It's no secret that living in an uncorrupt, uh, living an uncorrupted life is beyond a person's own power and ability. I don't know, have you tried it? For several years I tried it. This is who I'll be. I'm a person in charge of my own future. I can stay away from sin. I'm smarter than Satan is. Not that I thought that, but I just mean that was the outcome. We can't do that on our own, brothers and sisters. Satan is just more powerful than you and me. We've got to have assistance in that. I want you to notice that ending text in Genesis Noah was righteous and upright. How? Because he had strong determination against those things that were against God. And he had a, you know, he just was strong. No, that's really not it, is it? The text goes on to tell us he walked with God. That's how he did it. That's how he became useful. When everyone else around him was turning away from God, Noah turned toward God. When everyone else might have been trying to draw lines and, and, and hash things out, Noah was as, as quick to go as close to God and God's heart as he could find himself. You and I need to be that kind of person. To use Noah's pattern in our life and others that we can read that are very similar. 
The only way Noah had the strength to swim up tide in his society was by walking closely with God every day. And if you and I are going to go against the grain, we got to stay connected to God through prayer, through applied study of His Word, approving the things that we examine as genuine rather than vain and empty, deceptive things. I'll ask you, brother or sister, what good is a representative of God's royal family if they're unwilling to really be different from everybody else around them? We don't have to go out of our way to do it. Just live like Christ wants. Be as close to the heart of God as you can get, and there's nothing you can do about having to be different. You will be different. Some will hate you and some will love you. What does Jesus mean when he says and illustrates salt and light? What good is a Christian who continues to willingly walk in darkness as if Jesus has made no difference in his or her life at all? That's not, that's not walking in the light. Where's the hope of what's better in that kind of walk? in acting and thinking no differently than before Jesus has saved us. Thanks be to God, we're not left to walk in darkness and grope, hoping one day maybe we'll run into something that's truthful. God, through Paul and his other epistles, has shown us a better way of living. When we think of back... Don't you agree how greatly God has made a difference in your life? Aren't you thankful for what God has done for you? So, are you talking about it? Are you thankful for what God has done for you? We all who are seriously thinking about that say yes, amen to that. Are you talking about it? What has he done for you? Is it that difficult to bring up in conversation? Yeah, I know, I understand, I've been there. But you know what God did for me? I know that the position you're in right now is tough. I totally commiserate with you in that. You know what God has done, can do for you? It's not that hard to bring God up in conversation. And in fact, that is what the word expose actually means right there in that sentence. Oftentimes people think of exposure and they go, ooh, that's rip the, you know, the band-aid off kind of thing, right? Actually, the Greek word of our word expose there simply means to convince through discussion and illustration. The way we walk and the way we talk, those are what expose error. It's just that simple. A refusal to ignore, but to confront darkness, to show example in conduct and speech. There's a way out of the misery. There's a way out of sin. And Jesus is the answer to that. Like us, others need to know that. There's a better way to live. So I'm encouraging you, Christian, to open up to others if you haven't already been doing that. Show the alternative way. Speak of the alternative way. 
What have we all sung since we were little? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine until I'm 20-ish. We don't have to live in darkness. We don't have to receive due penalty from the wrath of God that's coming on those who are walking in darkness around us. We don't have to partake in the works of darkness. There is a life and rescue of Christ. And there is no better thing than that. No better thing. You know that and I know that because we're walking in the light. But somebody who's still walking in darkness doesn't know it. And they need you to help them find it. We have so much to be thankful for and to live for as God's people. And God has so much that He offers us. It's beyond comprehension, isn't it? It's overflowing, abundant. Not just what we need, but what we want is all around us in the spiritual realm. There is a difference between walking as children of light and walking as children of darkness. And God is educating us to be successful in the first of those rather than in the last. Aren't you thankful for that? Don't we praise God by giving Him our life for that as He has given us His. Appreciate your kind attention this morning. Let's close in a short word of prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace and the mercy, for the care for us that you have given, even when we did not care for you. When we walked in darkness, you've shown us light. And you've brought us from all the works that would be of a destructive nature and against which your judgment will come. And you have shown us what life in the light could be like. We do appreciate that more than words can express. Help us, Father, to grow in walking with you as children of light. And if any this morning, Father, who are without you, have been touched by how you would have us, how you would take us back, how you would love on us, how you would restore joy in our life and purpose, we pray that you touch their heart and their life today and that today would be the acceptable time to respond to your plan for their salvation through repentance, turning away from sin and baptism, a burial in you and a resurrection of the new man. We pray it all through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If darkness has been your path in life and you're ready to change that this morning, Talk to us in private about that. I'd be happy to talk to you more. Or maybe you know that right now is the time. No more waiting. And you want to come forward and be baptized into Christ today. If that's where you are this morning, this invitation is for you. Why don't you respond to that right now? Well, together we stand and as we sing.